G'day everyone, just some quick insights into today's podcast. I have to say this has been actually one of the most fun um, conversations I've had in the last uh, 12 months. All of them have been excellent, but this one really just sort of leveled up for me. I don't know why, I just, I'm really passionate about the humanity that exists inside organizations. When you're a founder and you've got, I don't know, you know, five to 50 people and you're always thinking about, you spend, you know, 90% of your time thinking about how to create the right environment for people to thrive and to be able to do their best work and to bring, them, to bring their full selves. And it's really important to me that humanity um, shows up. And so when it comes to things like feedback, you might think, huh, I don't need to learn anything about feedback. I'm like the master of feedback. Well, I think you can guarantee that you are going to learn some stuff about how you show up in conversations where you need to give someone some guidance and how you think about receiving that guidance or asking for that guidance in return. How do you build? Those are the interactions that build trust uh, in your organization um, and build loyalty uh, to you and to the team and each other and how they build safety together. Uh, so I think there's a huge amount to learn in this episode. Please listen all the way through to the end. You're going to hear uh, Amy's going to give you um, some downloadable uh, tools at the end that are going to help you understand radical candor, the practices, the specificity and the tools and how you can use them. You're going to love today's episode. Uh, get amongst it. Have a great time. Speak to you soon. Welcome to the Scale Ups Podcast, where each week you get to hear Sean Steele, professional CEO, growth mentor, and advisory board chair, unpack the strategies that successful founders have used to achieve scale in their businesses. Stay tuned as he interviews the entrepreneurs who've made it, learns from industry experts, and follows a group of founders still striving to scale. G'day everyone and welcome to the Scale-Ups Podcast where we help first-time founders learn the secrets of scaling so they can fulfill the potential of their businesses, make bigger decisions with greater confidence and maximize the impact they can have in the world. I am your host, Sean Steele, and I have a very special guest with us today, Amy Sandler, uh, Chief Content Officer at Radical Candor and host of the Radical Candor uh, Podcast. How are you today, Amy? I'm doing great. It's fun to be with you today, Sean. Thank you so much. My pleasure. I know I'm very excited about this uh, conversation. You know, many of our audience will have heard um, the name of the book, uh, Radical Candor, published in 2017 by, uh, by Kim Scott, former Apple and, and Google exec. And the, the, I guess the premise of the book is, you know, how to be a kick-ass boss without losing your humanity by finding the right ways to give and receive uh, feedback. And, you know, this book's gone gangbusters in the last uh, five years. How many copies has it been, have been printed now and in how many languages is it? I, I should have that answer off the top of my uh, tongue, but I, <laughs> I do not have it. I'll, I will say, though, that it really it has been a New York, at least in the U.S., you know, New York Times bestseller. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think in terms of the solidity of the ideas, the company where I'm the chief content officer is the executive education company based on the book that that Kim wrote. And we're, we're busier than ever. So the ideas are really mm -hmm relevant and have found an audience there's also by the way a lot in the book beyond feedback really you know how to mm. how to do meetings successfully and how to build and grow your team so there's a lot to it we uh, tend to focus a lot on feedback because that's a real challenge for most folks but a lot of other great content in that book well it's funny isn't it because you know giving and receiving feedback uh you know when you're a founder of a business you've got you know a lot of our audience are you know first-time founders running services businesses two to twenty million dollars in revenue often in very sort of traditional arenas like you know recruitment accounting education it services things like that they're experts in their industry they've got a you know, strong desire they hustle they've got great work they you know they've got adaptability and they and they get these businesses moving but many of them don't have a great or clear framework for um delivering feedback and 
whilst it seems like something that we should all just somehow innately know how to be good at, you know, I think about the number of difficult conversations I've entered in my earlier career where I've kind of just about to get into it, you know, you're like 15 minutes, 30 minutes before and you're like, I'm not even sure how I should start this. Like I don't even have a framework to think through to make sure that I actually nail even the opening, you know, five to 20 seconds, which is going to set the whole tone for this entire meeting. Like, how do I do that? It's not something that you just, you know, innately know uh, from my perspective. And I was, I was super fortunate in my last um, company. I was leading a, a portfolio of companies and we had really high engagement scores. Um, but I credit the vast majority of that to our people and performance director, Nicola, who had a very core leadership principle about um, addressing things the moment they occurred. Uh, and I don't, I, don't, I don't know why, but I'd never, I mean, I've been in a lot of companies before that, but no one had ever really called that out as like a really important leadership principle when it came to, I guess, identifying opportunities to provide feedback was, the, was how quickly that needed to be done. And I, I found it took a lot of courage for myself and for other leaders, people had to really rise to it because they, they weren't used to that being part of their environment, you know? And every time I looked around and I saw issues, when you trace those issues back, you'd nine times out of 10, it was a leader who was seeing something happen where feedback was required, but they were nervous or procrastinating. And like how, how important is, in the context of getting these conversations, right? How, how important is the speed as just one, obviously it's one ingredient, but how important is that, do you think? Yeah, sp speed is, is definitely important. We talk about uh, radically candid feedback. And by the way, just to be clear, feedback is just as much, if not more praise as it is criticism. Mm. Yeah. Um, another thing we like to say uh, is is actually framing it more as guidance. In other words, sometimes feedback can sound very, you know, I know better than you. You have to do it this way. We're mm. really talking about, you know, sharing our perspective in a way that's that's helpful. And being immediate is really important. If you're doing something well, just as much as if uh, it's not going well. I had a I was leading a workshop and someone um, shared a story where they were out of their home country. Uh, after giving 10 business development presentations, they're flying home with their boss. Their boss says to them, you know, that phrase you used in that culture is really inappropriate. You you should have used a different phrase. Well, <laughs> they already just did 10 presentations with using that inappropriate phrase. And so that's where, you know, we like to say feedback has a has a short half-life. And so the timing is important. You You also talked about something that I think is really important and something that we feel really strongly about at Radical Candor, which is that, you know, there's a lot of great feedback models out there. Um, but when you talk about the courage to say it or the courage to do it immediately, mm. what your um, Nicola that you mentioned was doing, you know, it's we're really focused not just on sort of the model. And we do have a model that we use, but also to really get to the root cause of mm. the issue, which is about really addressing the underlying relationship. What is the context between these two people? We really see this as between, um, first of all, practicing radical candors is back and forth with two people, a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And then from there, if I may use the word scale, scaling that, um, those conversations to create the culture. But it really is starting with these one-on-one -on -one relationships and how can we build the kinds of relationships so that we have the courage and we both give it and receive it in a way that is really to be helpful um, for, for folks. And so I think getting mm. in underneath the model into what gets in the way of us saying these uh, seemingly difficult things. Yeah, that's awesome. I've got so many questions about that. Maybe before I start jumping in and taking us down lots of rabbit holes, uh, maybe you could uh, <laughs> give, the, give the audience who doesn't know, hasn't read the book or isn't aware of the model, just 
talk us a little bit about the framework that you use that helps, I guess, you know, sort of put a, uh, put maybe a box or put some context around how a radical thing sure. kind of thinks about sure. it. Sure, absolutely. I mean, it's a really simple, it's a really simple idea. It's not always so simple to put it into practice, but it's this idea that you can build really great relationships at work. And the way that you can build these, these relationships that are focused on collaboration, on teamwork is showing that you actually care about the person that you work with, you're respecting their humanity at the same time you're willing to challenge them to challenge them directly. And we were talking at the beginning about this kind of two by two matrix that Kim Kim Scott developed. She and I uh, went to business school together and we we joke that one of the things you learn at business school is if you ever have a problem, just throw it on a two by two matrix. So if you <laughs> can imagine happen. just just yeah. you know anything that seems matrix, at odds, yeah. just throw it into a two by two matrix. So if you have on one dimension, you know, the care personally axis and on the other the the challenge directly the the sort of horizontal and the vertical and you think well gosh I, I can't care and challenge at the same time and it's like no in fact you can that's what that's what makes it radical uh, you know Kim is really intentional about words so so one word is the word candor and mindful that we speak different flavors maybe of the English language but you know mm -hmm. candor is a different word than truth and it was very intentional to choose the word candor because candor this is really about, I am sharing my perspective. This is how I see it. How do you see it? Rather mm -hmm. than I'm the only one who sort of has their hands on, got the reality. on the truth. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah. So candor is really mm -hmm. about sharing our perspective. And what makes it radical is that it's so rare. You know, mm -hmm. usually we're making mistakes where either we're caring about the person and we're not challenging them. We call that ruinous empathy or we're challenging them, the challenge is super clear, but we're acting like a jerk because we're forgetting that there's a human there and we're yelling at them in the middle of a meeting. Mm. Um, or sometimes we just don't do either of those things and we neither care nor challenge. And I can kind of double click into those different mm. quadrants, but I think it's really the reason why I think this framework is so helpful is that you can really start to use it as a compass to kind of guide conversations on the spot with the folks mm. that you work with. You're like, oh, Gosh, I really was being really challenging there. Maybe I need to move up on care. Maybe I maybe maybe I wasn't being clear enough. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of this is about clarity. I like to reframe sometimes the challenge directly as the clarity. Can I get more and more clear in what I'm saying? So radically candid conversations are kind and clear. Mm, that's that's so true. And I think about, so there's two words that really jumped out to me in what you were saying there. The first one was truth. You know, I think about, and I'm sure you've heard many people come to, you know, workshops or engagements, maybe that your team has done, uh, where they say, I just tell it how it is. Like, that's who I am. I'm just like a straight shooter. I just give it how it is. And I'm like, that's like, I get that. <laughs> that doesn't mean that what you are intending is the way it's going to be received. And actually you, you, you kind of need to care about that. And so what I love is this this balance between care, uh, which is not about a fluffy, um, that's not about being fluffy and challenging directly so that you're getting clarity and you're not withholding, you're not withholding, uh, I guess, information because you're sort of scared of how someone responds, but you're finding this balance where there's humanity inside it. And actually it's not, I always think, you know, in the absence of that feedback, that's what's inhumane. So if somebody's, you know, if somebody's behaving in a certain way and they may have no awareness of it whatsoever, it could be completely in their blind spot. And in the absence of you giving them that feedback and bringing that thing up to the light and letting you both have a look at it together in a, in a collaborative way, in the absence of that feedback, 
They go back to doing it. Nobody else is helping. No one else is telling them. That's actually inhumane. The humanity is having the conversation, not running away from it. Absolutely. If it's helpful, I can I can share a story when yeah, you know right. I received some radical candor. I, you know, we're big believers in in stories as a way to to kind of showcase what you're talking about. And I think also when we talk about care personally, challenge directly, it's going to depend on each person. Care personally is going to look different from you than it does for me, et cetera. And so I I was this was a time in my career when I was on what we would call a really steep growth trajectory. It was kind of all about me. It was all about my success. I just moved from being an individual contributor to a manager and had a meeting where we had just launched this website. And my boss, uh, who was the chief marketing officer, um, asked me afterwards how the meeting went. It was with the CEO and the CFO. And I said, the meeting was great. The CEO was really happy with what the board was saying. And the CFO was thrilled with the numbers. And I'd gotten this new brand project. Uh, my background was in marketing and communications. And so I said, the meeting was amazing. Like, I thought it was a, it was a home run, if I may use an American mm -hmm. phrase there. Um, whatever. The, I'd love to learn the, the, the international version <laughs> yeah, of hit that. hit it for six. Um, I, <laughs> hit her for six. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I hope I said that right. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was really just, I was, I was thrilled. And Steve was really, you know, complimentary and, con and congratulated me. He knew how hard we'd worked. And then he asked, you know, what did I think Brooke and Jenny thought of the meeting? And I said, you know, they thought the meeting was great. Brooke was doing the analytics and Jenny was doing the content. And Steve nodded very patiently and he shared, you know, uh, did you notice that when the CFO asked Brooke about the numbers, they're right in front of him, you interrupted Brooke. And I got really annoyed and I said, well, you know, Brooke didn't seem to know how to answer the questions. And and then I did the same thing. He sort of pointed out I'd done the same thing with, with Jenny, and I didn't even let her answer. And it was it was this moment when these things happened where I went, and I'm very sensitive. I, I like to call myself a recovering perfectionist. So when he pointed <laughs> these things out, you know, I went from being like, how can you say this? I was doing great in the meeting to all of a sudden, oh, my God, this is a disaster. And I was mm. so embarrassed. And then he said, you know, did you notice what happened to Brooke and Jenny during the last 10 minutes of the meeting? And it was just like this, it, it was so upsetting because I realized in that moment, I had not looked at them once. And I was so focused on, you know, the most important people in the room, the, mm. the CEO and the CFO, that I wasn't even paying attention to my team. And he said, because Brooke looked like he was about to blow a gasket. Jenny was miserable, wanted to be anywhere but there. And I'm afraid you're going to lose your team. And he was right. They were all furious with me. And it was just to your point about that not having humanity. It would have been so much easier for Steve not to share the feedback. And by the way, yeah. he said something that was really powerful, which is that, Amy, I know how much you care. I love how competitive you are. And I know you can be a great manager, but a great manager lets their people shine. And, you know, I, when I think back on those moments, it would have been so much easier for Steve not to tell me, mm. right? It took it re took real courage, right? Mm. Because he knows how sensitive I am. He knows I think think it's a great meeting, and and by the way, the other thing I realized was that it didn't make him look very good in front of his you know peers, the CEO mm -hmm. and the CFO. It could have been very easy for him to be like frustrated and pissed off with me and and interrupting to try to save it for himself. But he didn't do that. He was really focused on how can I how can I help, and so. Mm. That really came across in that moment, but and there were some things that he had done as well to show 
he was really invested in my own success. Uh, mm. You know, he, I, a very heavy door fell on me when I was traveling. He was on the phone with me all night. He invested in this mindfulness program when my company didn't want to invest in it that I'd been accepted into, you know, before this was a thing. And so it was those kinds of things. I like to call them like deposits in the relationship bank. Mm. I knew he was invested in my success. And so when he was giving me that feedback, even though as a quote, recovering perfectionist who wasn't in the recovery stage at that point, it felt like a ton of bricks had just fallen on oh, me. Yeah. Didn't feel great, but it, it, my gosh, what a gift, you know, because again, it would yep. have, the easier thing would have been for him not to say it, which is what we would call ruinous empathy, where you're so worried about the other person. Uh, you don't want to hurt their feelings that you don't tell them what they need to know. Mm, let it slide. Wow. And I love that he yeah. started with a real recognition of the positive intention that you had rather than just starting with the things that went wrong, which is such an important place because everyone's got a positive intention for the behavior that they're displaying, whether they're aware of um, what the behavior is creating around them or not. It's usually always coming from a great place because they want something positive. They want some kind of positive um, outcome, even if it looks to us uh, to be a bad, you know, brackets of bad behavior. I remember, it's, it's so interesting you telling that story. It really brought up um, for me in my first executive uh, role, you know, I was head of sales and marketing for uh, quite a large company. We had, I don't know, 1,500 people in Australia and three and a half thousand um, worldwide. I was leading sales and marketing, business development. And I'd always, I'd always been a very, uh, you know, kind of A type, go for goals, you know, big ambition and so on and so on. Mm -hmm. And that, and that sort of got me quite a long way. Um, it wasn't that I was completely uh, cutthroat or brutal, but uh, I was very focused and very um, ambitious. Anyway, I got to this role, been in it for maybe a year and a half. I got this great opportunity to have some sort of executive leadership uh, coaching for our executive team. And the starting point with this was this 360. And uh, they said, okay, you need, to, um, you need to get all of your team to give you feedback. You need to get um, two peers and your one-up manager. And I was like, oh, I've never been through this before. And so, yep, no problems. Happy to get it all from my team. Got it from my boss. And I was like, oh, which peers am I going to choose? And I thought, if I if I choose, you know, peers, of course, are the ones who've got who are most likely to give you probably the most direct feedback because they've got sort of nothing to lose, right? Um, they don't work for you. They don't manage you. And uh, and I I was remember thinking about it, going, I really need to get feedback from the operations director because really, out of everybody in this company, I run the front end. She does all the delivery. Like she's got the biggest team. And so on. And we just could not see eye to eye. Like there was just something in our relationship. We had almost zero rapport. Like I felt like she didn't trust me from day one. Like I was kind of on the back foot. Anyway, um, I got this feedback and what was really clear was she was like, essentially, you know, Sean has one way. It's his way. If he doesn't like, if he does if he thinks there's some um, feedback coming that he doesn't want to hear, he just goes around you. Like he essentially will just cut mm. you out to try to get to his goal. That is his model of the world. And I was like, holy cow and I, and I remember my uh, my coach saying have you considered how career limiting this behavior is i mean like you're the golden boy everyone thinks you're gray you're kind of you know probably the next in line for the ceo and all the rest but do you think your peers if you were to move to ceo do you think your peers are going to support you into that role like forget the ceo he might think you're great and your team might think you're great but what about your peers and i was like oh, it was so i was like wow, I am really being an ass. And it was so true. And it was the way I was scared of getting, I was scared of getting um, feedback that I didn't want to hear and not maybe knowing how to deal with it or interrupting my plans and me having to change something that I didn't want to do. And, uh, but the, but the quality of that feedback was so good. And I remember sitting down with her afterwards and unpacking with her how much I got from her um, perspective, because it was so valuable to me for my, my personal development. And again, she could have very easily gone, Sean's not even going to listen to this. I'm just not going to, I'm just going to say, yep, yep, all good, all good, all good. 
which would have been, I guess, a good example of your sort of ruinous uh, empathy and allies. Just let him go. Yeah. I Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that story. Again, I, you know, we're such big believers in the power of these stories. And this stuff happens all the time. And I think, you know, what's underneath it, why she wouldn't tell you this you know, sort of directly or, you know, you're afraid, like it took the courage and, and you had the courage to hear it and to act on it. And I think, you know, it's it's so important when we think about building this culture of radical candor, we we start out by talking about getting feedback. Before we go, before we move into giving each other criticism, we have to start by getting it, especially if we're mm-hmm. the leader, we've got to lay the power down, show that we're able to take it. Uh, if you know the phrase, you know, sort of take it before we start dishing it out but also giving praise, saying what's working well so that, you know, mm-hmm. you're really acknowledging what is going well. And I think, you know, just to also highlight processes, one thing we hear so often in organizations is how people are kind of blindsided by, I got something in a performance review and no one had told me this all year that this was a problem. Mm-hmm. And so what we really want to build are these frequent one-on-one conversations where we're talking about what's working well, what can be improved. And we're starting by talking about getting that feedback. So in an ideal world, by the time you get to the 360, you've had all of these conversations. And no so surprises. there's there's no surprises and it can yeah. really be more forward, forward looking. And, and we hear this, That's you know, so people come to us like over and over because, you know, employees feel like they're not getting the kind of feedback they need to, to grow. They don't feel like they're being developed or they're not mm-hmm. feeling connected to their manager. And, you know, people are getting surprised in reviews or, or when you were talking about sort of, you know, large turnover, exit interviews, uh, survey data, when you talked about engagement, survey data. Mm-hmm. And when you dig in, why is this happening? It's because managers and peers and, other, you know, people don't feel comfortable or skillful enough to have these kinds of conversations. And whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, we'll ask people, we'll do a poll, you know, what is it about giving criticism? Like, that's the hardest. And what's the hardest part about receiving? And it's everything from I don't want to hurt the person's feelings to retaliation to, you know, is it really worth it? Or is it, you know, am I seeing it right? To um, I don't trust the person. Uh, I'm going to be embarrassed. You know, so there's a, there's a lot mm-hmm. under the surface. If there was, if, if this wasn't happening, we wouldn't be busier than ever. And, you know, because there's the real sort of emotional part of it. Like, I don't want to have to change and I don't want to know that I'm not perfect. And I just want to mm. keep going in the direction. And so we have to do some real, like we have to be willing to look in the mirror and see mm. where we're making the kinds of mistakes, um, whether it's like the ruinous empathy that we're talking about or the obnoxious aggression where you're, the challenge is really clear, but you're not seeing the other person no care. as, mm. you know, a re, as a part, which maybe was the dynamic that you were having with this operations person of, mm-hmm. you know, just sort of, it's my way or the highway and I'm just going to mm. you know, blow in and we do <laughs> yeah, exactly bulldoze. Yeah. And then often what happens after we've acted, and by the way, we all act like jerks, you know, so originally if I can use an off color word, uh, Kim was going to call the obnoxious aggression quadrant the asshole quadrant because um, it seemed, you know, more more, yeah, more direct. Candid. Like it's just, it's just, it's pretty direct. Yeah. Um, but the reason she didn't was, first of all, it's not a very nice word. But number two, you know, we all act like jerks, and so I think it's really important to use these kind of quadrants or these mistakes. These are mistakes we all make in conversation. Mm. We can do it in one conversation where you're sort of acting like a jerk and then you backpedal and then you don't say anything. Uh, and also, so I think just to not. 
it's also taking the behavior and turning it into the person, like saying, okay, well, just because I've seen some obnoxious, obnoxiously aggressive behavior, that doesn't mean the person's an asshole all the time. As we, you know, as you said, we all step in and out of those moments. That doesn't mean that we're a bad person because we have some bad behaviors every now and again. Absolutely. And, and that's something that we as humans like to do a lot. We start to sort of put people into boxes and, mm-hmm. and that's part of how we end up dehumanizing each other. Like, oh, they're such a jerk or, oh, they'll never listen. And, and so part of our model is really about being specific about the actual behavior or work product. So I'm not saying, oh, Sean, you're a genius or, oh, Sean, you're mm-hmm. an idiot. It was, you know, mm-hmm. in this specific meeting you know, you weren't able to answer the question or you answered the question succinctly and as a result, this, and, you know, as a next step, that. So we have a model for that and it really takes it out of that, what we like to say, it's not about personality. The Mm. model is very much about things you can change, either behavior or work performance. And that's where being really specific and thinking about why does this matter, this person? Does it matter because now you're going to get the funding request or you're going to get the promotion? Like, do you know this person well enough to kind of align your feedback in a way that's helpful for them that with their mm. motivation? Mm. Jesus, so much in there. Uh, let me take one step back. Um, one thing I'd love to yeah. say is, because uh, I am a huge believer and I, you know, I, we built this into the culture of every subsidiary that we had was um, we built a rhythm of one-on-ones um, that was always monthly. And in every one of those monthly um, one-on-ones, you were looking at um, performance and you were also looking at the professional development. So it was a holistic sort of you know, performance portfolio, if you like, like what you're trying to achieve, what's been going on and so on. And um, we said, there should never be a performance appraisal. I like, th- there's no surprises. There should be zero surprises because you're having a mm-hmm. quality conversation that's two-way in feedback every month. Like, how am I going? How am I going and supporting you? What do you need from me? What aren't you getting from me? What's not working for you? that that's part of the conversation. And therefore, in you know half an hour every month, you have completely obliterated the need for quarterly or six monthly or annual performance appraisals, which scare the life out of people. Like I just, I feel it's such an inhumane practice to rock up at the end of the year and like find out how you're going, like, and then get some feedback that should have been given to you eight months ago. It's like, wow, that is so unhelpful. So I think that, you know, back to the principle around Nicola, the reason we built such a strong culture was people knew that if, if there was something, people began to trust the leaders that if there was a behavior that was not in line with the values of the organization, leaders would act on it immediately. There would be a conversation. It wouldn't go, it wouldn't slide by, you know, it wouldn't kind of be left to fester because um, that's where you really start to damage your culture. You've got all these people are going, oh, actually, maybe those kinds of things, are, like they start to sort of pull back because they're not quite sure what to expect. If you don't jump on those things, and I don't mean jump on it in an obnoxious and aggressive way, but I right. address it immediately, have a quality conversation. And I love the way that you uh, describe the specificity and the behavior. And I'd love to chat to you a bit more just about this whole, this, the setup and the ingredients of the quality sure. uh, conversation. Um, but I always used to talk about it like, it's probably not a great analogy, but it always made sense to me, like putting the scorpion on the table. So it's like, if we're both sitting in a room and there's something going on, there's a scorpion running around on the floor. Like there's some behavior going on. Neither of us are talking about it. It's like somebody just pick the friggin' scorpion up, stick it in the middle of the table yeah. and go, look, we've got a scorpion in the room. That's really interesting. Let's have a look. Let's hold it up to the light. Let's have a look at it together yeah. and analyze it together. So we've got this, this equity in power base in the conversation that we're just exploring it. I don't know what it means. I don't know why the scorpion's in the room, but maybe you know why the scorpion's in the room. What's, did you bring the scorpion into the room? I don't know. Like, <laughs> what do you think about this scorpion? I, like it? Yeah, that is so great. And I, you know, I really appreciate what you're talking about, the one-on-ones, which is, you know, for us, all of these conversations are happening in 
these in regular frequent, I would say even more than monthly, you know, yes. in an ideal world, more, more like weekly, because yeah. we want this to become more like brushing and flossing rather than a root canal so that, and, and, mm. and also that it's all developmental. So you're talking about, this is about your growth. So if I am giving you feedback or guidance, you know, this is in service of my growth, not about, oh, mm. Amy's signing my paycheck this month, <laughs> you know? So mm. when you think about mm -hmm. building trust, that it is coming from this place of this is to help you develop yeah. um, and that the performance feedback is really in service of your growth. And to kind of like you were saying, decoupling the actual review from this ongoing developmental conversations that are mm. that are frequent. They're talking. They're talking about for me if I'm your boss about you know what 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 am I doing? <laughs> that's that's you know did I bring the does it does it feel like there's a scorpion in the room every time we're mm -hmm. together? What's mm. one thing I could do to you know get us out of this dynamic where we're not talking about the scorpion? You know how can I be a better yeah. communication partner? So starting with what we would call go-to questions. Um, but the other thing that you can do is, and what are those? Sorry, what would be some of those go-to questions? So go-to questions, yeah, to to solicit feedback from the people that you work with. And a good go-to question, first of all, it's not a yes or no question. So it's not, uh, "Hey Sean, do you have any feedback for me?" And you're like, "Oh no, Amy, you're still perfect." Am oh, I doing good. a great okay, job? I, yes. I, tick. Okay, thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. That's all I need. Doing a great, tick, <laughs> tick, tick. Okay, great. I can go on with my day. So, yeah. you know, not a yes or no question. It's clear, like, you know what kind of feedback I'm looking for. It's it's in my voice and it's in a, a voice that would work for you. So, for example, you know, Kim and Jason are the co-founders of Radical Candor. And Kim had this go-to question, you know, what's one thing I could start or stop doing that would make it easier for us to work together? So that was a question she would frequently yeah, ask people. Nice. Well, yeah. Jason hates hates that question <laughs> for whatever. <laughs> that's not a question he welcomes. So they do a different question. So finding yeah. questions that work. So one sort of line of questioning that I love is, you know, we tend to work with people the way that we like to work. So I tend mm. to be a little bit of a micromanager. So a question for me to ask is, you know, what's, uh, what's, what's one thing that you wish I had not gotten involved with um, you this week? Or where's something you wish I hadn't been too involved with? Like you didn't mm. need me involved in it, yeah. uh, you know, and then a similar question, Jason is, is, is a, has a different style. He likes to work on his own and got feedback at a previous company. He gave someone on his team a huge project and she was overwhelmed. So a really good question for him is, where's something where you actually needed support from me mm, um, this past week or, you know, looking forward. So mm. kinds of questions that will facilitate someone giving you, especially if you're a boss, some criticism, you know, yeah. what's one thing I could do to help you feel more supported or to help you on this project, you know, so the words, you, you can tweak the words because words that will work for you might be different from someone else. Um, mm. But it's that idea of asking questions to get actionable feedback, you know, mm. and, and you can also ask a question based on behavior that, you know, you tend to do, I could say, you know, I, I know I tend to talk a lot in meetings, it's really important for me to make sure that everyone in the meeting has a voice. So can you at, the, at our next staff meeting, can you check on sort of where I am with airtime, and I'm going to check in with you after the meeting to see what went well, and what I could have done better. So you're kind of That's giving awesome. that person permission to yeah. share criticism with you. And it, again, it doesn't have to be like a huge thing. It's just like, mm. Amy, you ended Here's up- something like, I'm working on. Winning. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and help. it's a little, if you remember the movie, Jerry Maguire, help me help you. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I want to get better at this. Mm. So. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, nothing builds. Uh, it's very easy to fall into trap of um, 
feeling like you have to be great and like a hero and stuff all the time as a leader. Like, and I fell in, I remember falling into that trap and thinking, you know, getting to this point where I, I actually, because I'm super curious. So I have lots of questions. I really get to know other people, you know, particularly in, in my teams. Um, but then I realized after a period of time that, I, that people didn't actually know me all that well. And it wasn't because I was holding it back in any way, but they didn't feel comfortable. I wasn't sort of inviting them in. So I felt like, I was like, oh yeah, I really know my team. And I'm like, that. and someone said, I'm not sure that they actually know who you are. And I was like, wow. Okay. And, um, to your point, when you, when you come to them with vulnerability to go, Hey, like I'm not perfect. And here's some stuff that I'm working on. I'd love for you to participate in my development. That is such a big trust builder. Assuming that in the way that you then receive that feedback, it is, you know, yeah, then you actually <laughs> it's do accepted. something about, right. I mean, it, yeah, exactly. It. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's huge. And that's, that's a big belief, you know, reason why we're big believers in sharing your own stories when you messed up, hmm. you know, sort of giving people this permission we talk about sometimes even making a really big deal. If you're the manager, you know, we have this uh, thing like whoops a daisy where you'd have, you know, could have like a stuffed animal or something and say, hey, I, I heard that I did this thing and just kind of normalizing mm. this behavior so that when we make mistakes, we feel okay, like we can call it out, we can improve and also celebrating when things are going really well. But yeah. similarly with criticism, praise is not just rah, rah, great job. Mm. It has to follow the same model that we like to use, which I can get into in a moment, but yeah. it, it has to be specific and sincere or else it's it's going to miss the whole opportunity. I, I like to say that praise is like putting your foot on the accelerator and criticism is putting your foot on the brake. Mm. And if we just, you know, as humans, we like to focus on what's not working, but mm. we're not going to get very far if we just call out what's not working. Yeah. But But praise tends to fall short because it tends to be this vague, you know, great job, but we don't know what made it great. And that's what we really want to do is what, what worked well here so that we can show what we value. We can sh and sort of highlight people's strengths and we can show the team what good looks like. So, so talk to me then about the, I guess, the practicality of like how, how you enter these conversations. What are the ingredients that make it work? How do you, how do you get to that specificity and you know, maybe frames that you're using? Tell me more about that. Absolutely. So, you know, we like to talk about this kind of order of operations of how we practice radical candor. And again, first is that that go to question. So soliciting feedback, starting to build, build the trust. And when you get the feedback to what you were talking about, yes, reward the candor. If someone says, yes, you have been interrupting a lot, like follow up with it, you know, make the change and check mm -hmm. in and see how it's going. And then we want to move on to, to giving praise. And so the model that we use, which has been adapted from, you might know the Center for Creative Leadership, um, SBI model, we added this idea of a next step. And so we like to talk about, you know, what's the context? What was the sort of observation? What are the results of what happened? And then next step. So we call it core, uh, C-O-R-E, although technically we could call it corn and then we'd make corny <laughs> jokes. Um, but so for example, you know, just to give a, an example, you know, a context of something could be uh, you know, the quarterly budget review meeting with the CFO, like that, that's all you need to say. And it's the same thing for praise and criticism and praise mm -hmm. could be, you had a, a complicated um, analysis in your deck and you answered the question succinctly. Like that's all you, you're, you're focusing on work product. You're focusing on behavior. You're not saying you're a genius. Same mm -hmm. thing with criticism. You're not saying you're such an idiot. You totally, you know, screwed up the question. You're saying you weren't able to answer the CFO's uh, follow-up question or mm. you know there was an error in your analysis you're not making a judgment there you're just mm. you know sort of observing it yeah and this result part is where especially i think with praise but just in general 
where we tend to fall short in our mm. feedback. Like, why does this matter? Why does this matter to the person that we're providing this to? Why does this matter to the organization? So maybe it matters because, you know, for praise, we're going to get the funding or, you know, you're on track for promotion or the CFO knows we're the go-to team. Or for criticism, it matters because now the CFO is going to double check everything we send or, you know, you're going to have to do a you know few more projects for the promotion, et cetera. So do you really know the people that you work with well enough to kind of align the feedback that you're giving in a way that, you know, is showing why this matters? And mm-hmm. And the other thing that I really like about this model is that it's radical candor is not about nitpicking. It's not, you know, you did this and you did this and you did this and you did this. It's like any good relationship, leave a few unimportant things unsaid. Like, why does this really matter? Um, and then we added this idea of a next step because what we found in, in workshops and, you know, people would have these conversations and they think they're all agreed. And then you're waiting for, you're waiting for that then? email that you thought you agreed to. <laughs> yeah. And you're just like looking at your email inbox. I thought we it, right? And, yeah. You know, uh, it, it never comes. So what is the next step? And I think what's interesting with praise, a next step could be, you know, praise how also has care and challenge. It could mm-hmm. be keep what you're, keep doing what you're doing, you know, do the same thing for the CF of the CEO, or it could be share um, with the team how you built that analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for criticism, it could be let's or an opportunity to before... you know, level up or stretch, you know, the next time. Cause Correct. Like, that's, oh, yeah, that's amazing. A stretch yeah. goal. Exactly. Like mm-hmm. keep, keep growing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then same with criticism, you know, let's uh, meet next week before the meeting with the CEO. Let's go through the deck and any questions. So this idea of, you know, context, observation, result, next steps, but it forces us to really get clear on what I want to say to this person. And I like to, you know, we were talking on our podcast of how we like to actually just write these, you know, sort of bullet points out before we have these conversations. First, to hold ourselves accountable to actually doing it. Um, But it forces you to get really clear because we'll do this in workshops where people will practice giving this this feedback. And all of a sudden, there's this other person there. And even though it's a role play, all of a sudden, people start rambling. And it's like, well, Sean, you know, uh, thanks so much for coming. You know, oh, it's just great. How are you? You know, we just start (laughs) (laughs) like we totally ramble. And without the practice, you know, so you can work through the nervousness and any emotion. um, and some real emotion can come up. So it's helpful to practice several times so that by the time you're having the conversation, you are clear on what it is you want to say. And and you're also clear, like, I really like to go into this. What is my intention with this person? My intention is to be helpful because sometimes I might be going to this conversation and I'm just really pissed off. <laughs> like, you know, is my intention to be helpful or is my intention to say, why did you do it this way? Or this was a disaster, yeah. you know? And so I think and, really going and back also, to the you about curiosity, that you, like, and you may think that you know why it happened, what happened, etc. But actually, they're going to have a completely different perspective to you. So if you walk in there making that assumption, you know, your intention is like, well, I'm going to tell them how it is because I know exactly what happened there. I know what's going on. I just I'm trying to like lead them through a conversation so they basically go, yes, that's exactly what happened. You might be, you know, you're, you're kind of the wrong. You're setup, like leading right? the witness in the court of law. Like, yes, <laughs> John, on February 10th. Yeah, That's right. no, exactly. And we do this all the time. You know, I, I did this. I um, recently, you know, I've, I, I've never been in an organization where I just so much trust and care and Jason is my manager. And, um, and so I had gotten an email and I was surprised that I wasn't involved in this project. And it all seems so obvious to me. So I said, hey, Jason, do you have a minute to talk? And he said, yes. And so I 
explained. And I was expecting him to be like, oh, of course, that was such a strange oversight. Why didn't I do that? But that wasn't what he said at all. He's like, he's like, I don't see it that way at all. I see it this way, you know, blah, blah. And I was like, and then he's like, and I'm kind of frustrated. And I said, oh, I said, well, I wasn't expecting that at all. And I'm, I'm kind of frustrated. You know, we have the language to talk about it with each other. Yeah. And I was like, this is really bizarre. I wasn't. So it's just such a good mm. reminder. We go into the, like, our minds are such amazing story-making machines. And so it, it didn't even occur to me, mm. you know, that Jason might have had a different perspective um, on the situation. So it's always, yeah. you know, I teach this to force myself to practice it. So when, you, and I like that when you, you know, I think that, one of the places to your point, I say there's the, there's the rambling and setting up the context to start with. And the person on the other side of that conversation is going, where, like, where is this going? Like, just right. They're the just like, just going. tell me. So just like, please just, just get to the point. <laughs> so you get to context. You're like, okay, this was the context. And then the observation to your point, the, the, the desire to, the, the, the inability for people to hold back their judgments in that description of actually what happened is I find it's a really hard habit for people to break. Um, and yes. so I, you know, I was trying to like think about it like facts. Like you just think about it like a bank robbery. Okay, you know, there's a bank robbery. There's nine people in the bank. You know, and every single, every one of those people, of course, has a completely different description of the height, the color of the skin, the tone of voice, what was said, where they moved to. Everyone's got a different map. So the map is not the territory. No one has an actual reality, right? None of you have a reality, and therefore, all you can do is describe how you saw it, describe what you thought was happening, without the and it means this, and it means this, and it means this to give that person a chance to respond because because <laughs> you will get caught out uh, very quickly when you've already gone in with that sort of predetermination. Yeah, I really like that model. Okay, Absolutely. so context, so well, so observation, well results, and then Result. next steps. Yeah, That's good. And, and it also forces you to get clear. And this is, a spe you know, I think praise is such an underutilized tool for folks of what does good look like, good look like? And especially as, as, as leaders are trying to scale and grow their organization, when, when something goes well, how does this align to your company's culture, to your values? You know, why was this result the result you were looking for? And so when you, because you can't always, you know, replicate the outcome, but mm. you can replicate the inputs and what you were trying to do. And so when you get really specific about why this was good, you know, it's like if somebody says, oh, that was a great presentation. Well, tell me what, what, what was it that made it great? Cause that tells me more about you, what you value mm. and what, what was it that didn't work? Why didn't yeah. it work? Why would, what would have been more helpful? So that's how we grow when we learn what's working well specifically. Um, and, and it also is a sort of window into what other people value. Do you feel like I was just, as you were saying that I had this, uh, you know, sort of thought bubble of the feedback sandwich. Do you remember the feedback sandwich? Like, okay, I'm sure going to do. deliver you something hard to, hard to hear. So at first I'm going to butter you up with something that I think is great. Then I'm going to like slam you with this, you know, like punch in the face. And then I'm going to give you some nice buttery, you know, fluff at the end. <laughs> you're going to, you're going yeah. to love it. Like you're going to accept that feedback sandwich and eat it wholeheartedly. <laughs> What happened to that model? I haven't heard it used for a long time. Thank God, because it was yeah, terrible. Yeah, so, yeah. I think I think. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe all of our gluten intolerance, we had to let that go. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but the reason why, you know, from a radical candor perspective, the the real problem with the feedback sandwich is that it's not clear. Hmm. You know, we're all about clarity, and so it's like, wait, yeah. so this was good, okay, but no, this was bad, okay, but wait, this is good. Hmm. So like, tell me what to do, like, hmm. you know, and so. Confusing. That's why we want this feedback to be frequent. <laughs> one of the things we also joked about on our podcast was um, Jason shared how, you know, one of his first jobs, this might go back to sort of the same management book that had the feedback sandwich was like the boss saying, let's go, let's go walk for a cup of coffee. 
know, I don't know if this translates where you are, if there's a different beverage, but, you know, it was like, he said he lost his taste for coffee because every time you knew that walk for the cup of coffee was not going <laughs> to end well. This was like criticism, like you're walking the plank to get the criticism. And so I think it's the, the, the reason why we want to have more praise than criticism and we want these things to be frequent is because we want to point out like what's worth, and it doesn't have to be these huge things. It, you know, just, just little, little moments. Like even if I say in this conversation, oh, you bringing up the feedback sandwich was such a great question because it helps me go even deeper into why things are or are mm. not effective or, you know, and so it doesn't need to be sort of this big grand thing, but so first of all, it's not clear. I don't know what to do. And then second of all, we want this to be more frequent so that these things can kind of, you know, I don't think it's terrible to have some praise and then have some criticism, but we want it mm. to be frequent enough that we're, we're doing it. You know, maybe it's, yeah. we don't need and, an exact count, but you know, four yeah. or five pieces of praise every so often, and then a piece of criticism. So it's and, not like a formula. It's yeah. just a frequent conversation. Yeah. It brought up an image in my head of your comment before about the sort of accelerating the brake. If you imagine driving in your car, you know, if, if on a normal trip, you're probably going to have your foot on the accelerator. 80 to 90% of the time and 10% of the time you're going to have to brake or it's almost like kind of putting on a pulling on the handbrake rather than even the foot brake, you know, like you, you, you might go a little bit slower. Um, but actually if you have it all the way up the handbrake, you know, nothing you do on the accelerator is going to work. And so if every time you rock up to, um, if every time you rock up to a conversation with one of your team and they're expecting, Oh, here we go again. Like I'm about to get, you know, <laughs> it's like, that's not a good, that's not a good relationship to be in. Well, what do you do, Amy, if, um, I know this happens for a lot of leaders where two colleagues aren't working all that well together and maybe you, you know, maybe you haven't quite built, you know, radical candor, you know, maybe not everybody in the organization has the skills yet for uh, these conversations you're a bit earlier on, but you see two people that actually kind of really, you, you want them to be able to give each other better feedback and you feel like this kind of risk of sitting them down like children uh, in a room to go, okay, you know, John, you need to talk to Jane and Jane, you need to give some feedback to John. And how do you, how do you manage that situation? How, how does uh, sort of radical candor think about that kind of scenario? Yeah, that, I think that's one of the hardest things. And when we talk about sort of encouraging it, building this culture of radical candor, where you as the manager, you're soliciting it, you're giving it you're and, and one of the things we didn't talk about was gauging it, which is this idea that radical candor is measured, not for my mouth as the speaker, but for you as the listener. So like, how did it land for you? Mm. And then, so we talk about get it, give it, uh, gauge it, you know, how is it landing? There's no sort of one objective measure. That's why we want this, you know, in person if we can, or at least with video or, you know, in synchronous time um, and then encouraging it. And the way that you start to encourage it is for, first of all, for you as the leader to be soliciting it. Um, and when it comes to your team, you know, not only are you modeling this and, you know, in your larger meetings, you're, sort of reflecting when you've gotten some criticism and how you're acting on it, you're acknowledging things specifically. But I think the example that you're talking about is, you know, one person comes to you and, you know, it's, it's like Adam complaining about Ben and then, you know, Ben comes to you complaining about Adam. And, you know, so even though I think the most important skill of all of this is listening, we spend a lot of time actually practicing listening because there's, no better way, I think, to show that you care to really understand what that person, um, what, what matters to them, you know, the, the sort of context. But this is the one time I'm going to encourage you not to listen, because after you've heard it the first time, you're like, oh, yeah, Ben is such a challenge. And then you talk to Ben. Oh, yeah, Adam is such a train wreck. Or, you know, no, that's what we call manipulative insincerity. This is where we talk about people and not to people. 
And there's a great quote, you might know it from the head of Pixar. He says, you know, if there's more truth happening in the hallways than in the meetings, we have a problem. And that's really the behavior that you're talking about that we're trying to really nip in the bud. And that's where, that's your job as the manager. We do want, you know, Adam and Ben or whoever these two people are to talk to each other. And if they're not having success with that, then you would need both of them to, to talk to you because you're only getting to your point, like maybe Ben sees a scorpion and Adam sees a, a lizard and it's like, okay, like what are the qualities of the lizard? What are the quality? Like you might uh. need to mediate if for some reason it's someone that actually you don't report to then have that person's manager. So it's like all four of you are in the room. I, I do think that can be some of the hardest work, but if you uh. have been modeling that you value this and you're encouraging people to do it. Like that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to take away a culture where people are coming to you and saying, well, I heard this thing. And, you know, it's sort of all of these like side games of, of telephone and you want people to be talking as much as um, we can to each other. That's so true. I remember, um, I remember somebody saying to me, don't, don't turn your boss. Uh, I was like, don't turn your boss into, I guess it was basically like, don't make your boss the mediator of you guys. Like you guys need to have this conversation together in a way that builds relationship because every interaction is either probably building the relationship or diminishing the relationship in some way based on the quality of that uh, interaction. And um, uh, the adjudicator is like, don't ever turn your boss into the adjudicator. Yeah. That should not be your boss. And sometimes, I mean, sometimes if that, if that, if, if it gets required, to that point, then sure, both yeah. of you go, you can't work your way but through we it. really want people to feel empowered that, yeah. you know, you can have these relationships and that, that same order of operations, you know, you talked about peer-to-peer -peer feedback. And I will say, you know, I think this can be very challenging for people because sometimes you feel like it's sort of like the what's in it for me. Hmm. Well, all I see is a whole lot of, you know, I'm, I'm so busy. I'm so stressed. Like, you know, am I really going to go out on a ledge for this person, et cetera? And so I think that's where having these values of like, we... We've we've got each other's backs. Um, I we we had a partnership with um, Second City Works, uh, the improvisation group um, here in the U.S. And back when we were doing more in-person stuff, we would do um, a show with with improvisers. So they're really funny. So I just met this guy once, and he came out uh, from the bathroom. And we were just about to go on stage, and uh, his fly was down. And I'm I'm looking around like okay, well, who's going to tell him that his fly is down? We're just about to go on stage. And and I was like, okay, Amy, first of all, you're teaching radical candor. So you, and second of all, like you, it's just literally you and him is the way to on stage. Like you are between him and that audience. And mm -hmm. so I pulled him to the side and I told him, and of course he was an improviser. So he was very funny and very, really appreciated it. Um, but the reason why I share that story, first of all, like it's all of our tendency to be afraid or, you know, to not mm -hmm. want to do this, but also there's a phrase in improv, if you're going to go on stage live, it's got your back. And, and that idea of like, you're not going to let me go on stage with my fly down. And I'm not going to let you go on stage with your fly down. And it goes back to what you were talking about of like, building this culture that if I was making a mistake this whole time, that I, I would trust that somebody's going to tell me I'm messing up. And if, if all of a sudden I find out I've been doing this thing for a year and nobody had the courage to tell me, mm -hmm. you know, those are like, and, and so that's the kind of like culture that, yeah. that we're trying to, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean that when you think about sort of trust and safety. And so I would encourage for anyone in an ideal world, you know, things are trickling down that bosses are soliciting feedback, but peer to peer, sometimes you have to be the one 
to, to make that offering, to solicit feedback. You know, maybe you're doing something that's getting in the way of them getting mm -hmm. the deliverables to you on mm -hmm. time. Maybe you're, you know, giving them last minute that you don't know, like, what's one thing I could do to help make our partnership more effective? You yeah. know, that kind of thing. When you were sharing your story about, you know, that um, operations person who shared that feedback, it, it reminded me of some some difficult peer-to-peer -peer relationships I had. And I never sort of reached out proactively to say, hey, how could I be a better working partner for you? Or, you know, this is really important. What's one way I could make things a bit easier for you? So if mm -hmm. we can start to model that with each other, um, it can go a long way. And just to acknowledge, peer-to-peer, -peer, I think sometimes can actually be almost the hardest one because it's a yeah. little bit like, what's the ROI in this? Mm. <laughs> you know, it's easier for me to just go complain to my boss. And I think if you, you know, as a leader, when you're thinking about the building of your culture, um, if you can crack that nut, like if you can, if you can truly build a culture where actually your team feel like each other has each other's back and that they feel like you mm -hmm. as their leader have their back, that's a relationship where people are actually going to feel free to take risks. People feel free to make you know mistakes. They know they're not going to get caned for it. Like that's when your business really starts to thrive because everyone's not running around waiting to be caught out for something or like, you know, shamed in some way because the only, well, you know, the only feedback that happens is basically people get hung out to dry or only get given negative feedback or it's public or, or whatever, which is really, you know, super toxic. And I imagine, um, you know, I've seen so many, I've worked on, um, values with uh you know done lots of values workshops in building new businesses or brands or you know acquiring a subsidiary and things like that and uh, all working with private clients and when we get at almost without fail somebody comes up with honesty as a as a value uh usually honesty and integrity are always somewhere in the top five and i'm like like if we if we have to call out integrity um as one of our big values uh, that it's kind of scary but honesty is i, I think this kind of shift and so it might help people who go who are looking at their values going, well, I've already got honesty as my value. I'm like, well, honesty is kind of pretty close to truth. Like maybe radical candor would be, and you know, like I've got your back uh, would be a really nice coupling of some values to go, hey, we actually give really high quality, um, you know, we, have, we give really good guidance to each other, but we do it in a way that comes from a place of care and support and knowing that we're actually going to keep each other safe. Like that's a, that's a nice place to operate in. That, that's a culture you'd want to be part of. I, I really appreciate that framing and what's coming to mind is, you know, another phrase that we use, um, if, 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 if you or you tend to have this struggle with obnoxious aggression where you're, the challenge is really clear, but you're not caring so much. We, we also will call it compassionate candor. And because we would see that a lot where it's like, oh, I'm just being brutally honest. It's like, no, that's not brutal honesty. That's still obnoxious aggression. Going back to what you were saying, I'm just telling you how it is. So I think when we talk about words like honest or truth, I think, you know, keep like double clicking on those. What's one specific example? What does that actually mean? That's why we like to have people tell their stories. You know, what does care personally and challenge directly look like for you? Because to your point, those words can sort of seem kind of big and amorphous. And it's like, how, how does it actually show up for you? Give me an example of these behaviors that are associated with these different these different values, and you know, I think it's 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 very tempting for you know leaders to oh, I, my team needs to work on this, right? You know, we need to, and but it's like you're, I hate to say it, but you've got to be the one that really <laughs> like stop. like models that behavior, yeah. and that when somebody gives you some radically candid feedback, that you know you 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 explore it, you talk about it, and when you can model that and share that back with your team, like, Hey, I, I understand I've been making this mistake. I'm so grateful for it being called out for me. Like, this is what I'm going to do. That's how you start to build that safety. Mm -hmm. But you are really the one 
people are going to believe far more about what your behavior is rather than maybe a few words on a um, website. Oh, Amy, I could talk to you about this all day, but unfortunately we don't have all yeah. day and we are probably at the end of our time before we send, um, before people end up spending two hours listening to our podcast. But um, I just okay. want to say a huge thank you um, from me. That's been such a joyful conversation, really valuable. I think it's such a um, under-discussed um, part of, it's, it's, it's like, it's so embedded in all of our work practices. We spend so much time doing this, but actually often very unconsciously with no thought, no depth and no training and kind of how to do it better and understanding the implications um, of doing it well or, or not doing it well. So thank you very much for sharing that with the audience. I'm sure they'll find it super valuable. You have a, um, a download, I believe, that people can um, get access to that will help them give a little bit of, uh, do, you, do you have a web link or something that people can follow? How would you suggest that people, you know, learn more about Radical we Candor? And... Yeah, absolutely. Well, you can go to our website, RadicalCandor.com. And then we do have, if you want to download some some tips. We've got a lot of tips available. Um, people love the specificity of the tools and the practices to start to put it into action. So that's radicalcandor.com slash one O-N-E hyphen. So just that little mm -hmm. uh, dash pager, P-A-G-E-R. So radicalcandor.com slash one pager. Maybe you can yeah. put that in the, uh, show, in the notes. show notes as well. But yeah, I, I love the conversation and um, I am really passionate about it because you know, people want to succeed at work. Like we all want to do our best. We all want to do well. And, you know, I think especially now if we can build these kinds of relationships, um, not only to do great work, but to actually feel like, wow, I really, I made a difference for someone today. It just, it's, uh, it's, it's inspiring. Um, it's inspiring to be able to spend this time with you. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Amy. Uh, folks, I hope you really enjoyed the show today. Huge thanks to uh, Amy Sandler from Radical Candor. Uh, before you go, if, you know the, the, the best thing that you could do for us is just to share that. Just tell one person uh, about Scalots Podcast and this episode specifically, something that you liked about it. Feel free to go on the socials and let us know uh, what you liked. Uh, we're at Scalots Podcast, or you can email us at questions at scalotspodcast.com. Uh, you've been listening to Scalots Podcast. I am Sean Steele, and I look forward to speaking with you again next week. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you. G'day everyone, just a couple of quick things before you go. If you have questions that you'd love myself or an upcoming guest to tackle about challenges that you're facing in scaling your business, please just jump straight on the website, scaleupspodcast.com. You can record your message straight from your mobile by hitting the button on the right-hand side of the page, or you can just email them the old-fashioned way, questions at scaleupspodcast.com. And just a quick reminder, nothing we spoke about today constitutes financial or business advice. If you are considering making big decisions in your business, seek out a professional who can look at your situation in detail and make sure you're getting sound, personalized advice. Thanks for listening. Look forward to being back in your podcast feed next week.